Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. If you'll turn to Exodus chapter 12, we're going to be looking at 37 through 41. And I've entitled this, How the Lord Will Guide Us Through This. And Israel is now getting into a transition period, leaving Egypt. And they're going into the desert to follow the Lord in the desert. And it's a transition period because they have been there in Egypt for several hundreds of years. And now they're being told that everything has changed and we're moving with the Lord, and we ultimately know where we're going, the promised land, but they don't know the path how to get there. And so the Lord's going to guide them through that. And the same thing, I think, goes with us. We're entering, if you haven't realized it yet, a transition period now. And a lot of people hate to admit this, but with all that you've seen over this past year, and we've talked about it many times, it is introduced a transition that's happening. Now, a lot of people are having some cognitive dissonance about this, and they're struggling with accepting what's happened, but you cannot deny what's happened. We have an election that got rigged. We have an election that got stolen. And all you have to do is read the first 100 days of a Harris-Biden presidency, and you will know what they're going to do. They are putting the most radical people in their cabinet. I'm not talking about mainstream, middle middle America. Radical, far-left people in Biden's cabinet. And they're assembling a team that will be the most radical you have ever seen in American history. These people are not even... Uh, we, we would consider them Democrat. They're not even Democrat. These are flat-out communists, atheists... Just ungodly people, ungodly people. And because of that, they're introducing something pretty wicked. The Great Reset is getting ready to happen, which means that they want to go to a digital currency. They want to introduce the Green New Deal, which includes all of that, which includes a global taxation. And a lot of things are going to be changing in our lives. More lockdowns are coming. I hate to say that. And more things are going to be put on you as far as taxes. You're going to see your food prices go higher. You're going to see inflation or even hyperinflation. And I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just telling you what's coming. Because this is what they've promised. They want free education. They want The, the UN's even pushing free housing for all. Free medical. I mean, who's going to pay that? Well, you and I are. So your taxes are going to go higher. And so we're in a transition period, whether we like it or not. This is what's going on, and nothing seems to be changing anything. I hope, obviously, that the Supreme Court can hear all the findings that the Trump administration has found with all the fake ballots and the computer issues of the scorecard and Dominion and all the things that they switch the votes with. I hope something come out of that. But I don't trust our court systems. I just don't trust them. I think a lot of the stuff's going to be laid out in front of them, and you know they're going to say, okay, but th- this is not enough to overturn the election. Because I just don't trust these guys. And now, you know, you hear rumors that Kavanaugh's going left and, and, and you know, Roberts is, is going off the, the, he's been off the reservation for a long time. And understand, that's just the way politics and the judicial system work. 
our system of government doesn't work now because there's too many evil people. Our system of law doesn't work because you have no recourse. I want to talk about, you know, for instance, like if you see our attorney general, Barr, who are they going after? I thought by now people would be in jail. How come they're not in jail? They're not going to be. They're just not going to be. And, you know, I, I hear Hannity on TV a lot. Of well, people's heads are going to roll. People are going to go to jail for that. I've been hearing that for a whole year. No one's went to jail. I'm tired of hearing that because I know the judicial system's not going to put them in jail. They have a different law system for the elite rather than you and I. If you and I did something like that, we'd be in jail for forever. They're not. So when you see the system broke like this, and then now even in California... The lockdown now, there's a new lockdown, you know that, right? We're not supposed to be doing this at all. And you're not supposed to have Thanksgiving the way you think you're going to have Thanksgiving, right? Remember, they're saying you can only have two kids instead of three. So what if you have three kids? You just leave one at home and you just go to Thanksgiving without that one kid? Well, I'm going to obey Pharaoh Newsom. And then they put a 10 o'clock curfew. Are anyone going to obey that? They're out of their minds. We're like children to them, right? The funny thing is, Gavin Newsom doesn't want us to have Thanksgiving and Christmas because they're afraid of passing this coronavirus to everybody. But I find it funny that the New York Post posts a picture of him at his Napa wine party up there in Napa Valley at a little French restaurant with him and his buddy. See the yellow arrow? That's Gavin Newsom. You see a mask? No. You see anybody social distancing? No. So why is he going to tell me that I have to practice social distancing and only have two kids at my Thanksgiving when he's not doing it at all? Because you know why? It's a pandemic. He doesn't believe it's real, and neither do you and I. It's a real virus, but it's been hyped up so beyond what it is that they are not afraid of it. Look at them. The elites have no problem. They go and do their own thing. So my whole point about all this is we're in a transition, folks. And and just like Israel's in a transition, they're leaving Egypt, going into the wilderness. We're leaving the old America, how America used to be, and we're stepping into the new America. And it's America you and I will not like or enjoy. And therefore, just as God is going to lead Israel in the wilderness, we need God to establish the path for us so we know where to follow. Until the day of the rapture, we will have to follow this path And he will navigate us through it. No doubt about that. We've just got to follow the path. Now, here's the deal. That's what you're going to study. We're going to study the path. The same thing he did with Israel, he's going to do for us. It's the same principles you can use for our day as well. And so we're going to learn a lot. So I think providentially, there's a reason why he led me to do Exodus at this period of time, because it is so in parallel with what happened to Israel. Now, let me make one more final statement. This new transition that you need to be prepared for, that's coming, includes a lot of crazy things. But one of the craziest things you will see is believers not waking up to it. Okay? You're already awoke. I get it. I'm preaching to the choir. You already know what's happening. We've been on this thing for a long time, and we know this is happening. But other people have no clue. And whether they are willfully ignorant or they just lack the information... What's going to happen to the church is this. You're going to find either Christians are awake or they're asleep. And it's kind of like that Matrix movie. You remember that scene where Morpheus offers Neo the ability of two pills, the red or the blue one? You remember that? And he says, look, you can take the blue pill and stay asleep 
and believe whatever you want to believe, or you can take the red pill and wake up and realize what world you're in. Do you remember that scene? Let me play that scene real quick for you, because this is the decision the church is at at this point. Do you want to know what it is? The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room, you can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. <sighs> Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. With that, you're going to see the church, the people in the church, either take the red pill, so to speak, or take the blue pill. There will be Christians who take the blue pill and refuse to wake up, refuse to see what's happening, and they will get caught in this storm. They will go right along with what the government is pushing, what Gavin Newsom's pushing, and they will go right along. But if you choose to take the red pill, you will wake up to the truth. It's not a pretty picture, but you will wake up to the truth, and at least you'll know the truth. And that's all that matters. Because moving forward, the truth does set you free. And that's what we're going to hang in on. So let's start understanding what God did for Israel and what he's going to do for us to be on that path. Start in verse 37 with me. It says this, Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. And we talked about this last week. There was about 2 million people that went with Moses out of, uh, of Egypt and into the wilderness. Now, one of the things about this is this is the point at which Israel must take the next step. They must pack up their stuff and leave. And that, that's a big decision. And whatever the Lord's calling you to do in these last days, whatever mission he has put in front of you, the one thing you have to do is eventually make the decision to 
take the step. Because you can ponder it all you want, you can think about it, and it can be there for you. And it can be placed right in front of you. But until you take that next step, you're not going anywhere. And I remember when the Lord put it on my heart to start Rock Harbor years ago, I sat on that decision for two years. Two years I sat on it because I was afraid. I knew what it meant, I knew what it entailed, and it scared me, and I liked the comfort of working at a megachurch and having, you know, all the comforts of that environment. And I knew that if I, I had to do this, it would cost me greatly. So I sat on it for two years. So my inactivity, I knew what the next step was, but I sat on it for two years not making a move. I hate to tell you this, we could have been further along the path, but the problem was me. We could already be in our own building right now, but because I delayed two years starting it, that's why we're two years behind. I'm the blame for it. And so uh, when all the workers have to set up and tear down, that's me. That's on me. So at the end of the day, he will lay that path right in front of you, and you have to eventually step out and quit making excuses like I did. And you know what my excuse was? I was afraid, afraid of money, afraid of losing money. I didn't know where the money was going to come from. I went three months without a salary. I left that. I left everything that I had at a mega church, and that's what the real issue was. I was afraid of losing money, personal. I got kids and all that stuff, but nonetheless, it, it, God kicked me in the pants and said, do you trust me that I can provide for you? And he did. He did. But he wouldn't provide until I stepped out, until I took that step. And so my point to you is this. Don't be like me. If he lays that path out in front of you and he says, this is the next step, then you've got to take that next step. Don't delay. Do not delay. And understand on this path that you're going to have to meet certain conditions just to take the first step. The first step is this. You will be asked to leave things behind. You can't take it with you. I couldn't take the comforts of the megachurch with me. I had to go out on my own. So I had to leave it. You will then be asked by God, leave the comfort and security that you're used to. That's what he did to Israel. Think about this from Israel's standpoint. If you really think about it, they had been living there for hundreds of years. They're used to there. Their kids were born, grandkids, generation after generation in Egypt. Even though it was bad, even though it was hell on earth after you know the Egyptians started putting them into slavery, they still were comfortable there. And I know it's a weird thing, but people got, start getting comfortable in hell, right? Because they know the, the road signs in hell. They know how to navigate. And so they got comfortable there. And so they had to leave their homes, their roots, everything at this point in time. There was no going back. And please understand, that's the situation we're all facing now in the world. There is no going back to what it used to be. We have something ahead of us, and it's pretty scary. But God will take us. So you have to be willing to let something go. You have to be willing to know that you don't know where the path is going on the path. Now, here's the deal. You might know the end goal, like Israel did. Israel knew the end goal. The end goal is the promised land. We're going there. But how we get there, I have no idea. And the end goal for you and I, obviously, is to be with Jesus in the new Jerusalem, to be raptured, to be in heaven for seven years. Then we come back and rule and reign with Messiah for a thousand years. Okay. That's the end goal. You know it. 
But how we get there, I have no idea. I don't know what we're going to do this week. I don't know what's next week. I don't know what the, the month before and a year from now or whenever. He says, then you have to trust me for the path. And you have to be willing to not know things in this walk with the Lord. So on this path, let me tell you what's going to be on the path. The Bible does warn you what's going to be on this path for you. Even though you don't know where it goes, it does tell you what will be on the path. Just to name a few that tripped up Israel. There will be hindrances and hurdles along the path. There will be people you encounter that either help you or hinder you. You won't know how long it will be on the path. You won't know where your provision comes from. It'll come from God, and he'll make it happen, but where that provision comes is a secret, and he will reveal it at the right time. You will never have your provision striking out. You just won't. You won't know how all of this fits together. He won't tell you. He might tell you eventually in heaven, but he won't tell you how this all fits. And he guarantees that there will be temptations from the evil one on this path and guarantees that there will be tests on this path for you. Tests are from God. Temptations are from Satan. But they'll be on the path. And that's what you have to know stepping forward, that this is the conditions I'm getting ready to embark on. Now, in verse 38, we continue. That's the first thing. You have to be willing to take the step of faith and count the cost. But in verse 38, there's something interesting I think it's worth pointing out. It says, A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds and a great deal of livestock. Now, we've talked about the livestock and the herds. That's their property, and we've discussed that. But what I want to focus in on is the mixed multitude. The mixed multitude... Now, when you read commentaries, they'll say, well, these are the people who believed in, in Yahweh and went with Israel who were non-Jews. They might have been Semitic, Cushites. They could have been Egyptians as well, uh, Hamites. But nonetheless, there's a mixed multitude that went with Israel. Now, the interesting thing is, notice the word mixed is used in the phrase. It's not just ethnic, ethnicity mixed. It's a spiritual mix. In this non-Jewish group, there are some that believe in Yahweh, and there's a whole mess of them that are going with Israel who just simply go because they're afraid. They don't believe, they're just afraid. They're afraid of what they saw in Egypt. They're afraid of Yahweh, no doubt about that, but they don't, they don't necessarily trust in Yahweh like a believer does. They're fearful. There's a big difference between being afraid of God versus having a relationship with God. And they're afraid. They're like many of the people in the tribulation who will fear God, but they don't place their faith in him. And so this group goes out. And the reason we know that this group is a messed up group is because in Numbers 11.4, Moses then will call this mixed group a rabble. And when he calls them a rabble, it is suggesting to you and I that this group is the original instigators of Moses' and Israel's problems on the path. You know the problems, right? You remember that? Every turn they made, 
someone's always complaining, right? Never can be satisfied. Well, a lot of that originated with this particular group. And they will plague Moses and Israel all the years in the desert. So much so that Moses gets to the point where he can't take them anymore. And what does he do? He hits the rock twice. Remember that? He commands water out of it, hits the rock twice. And that is a violation. He was not told to do that. And that bars him from going into the promised land. Please understand, the rabble was what the main hindrance for Moses what it was going into the promised land. They made him so mad, he lost it, and that's what cost him. Now, I think about that myself. I probably would have lost it on them month one, okay? I don't think I could put it up with it. I don't know how he did dealt with 40 years of, of complaints. And you remember the complaints, Remember? You got manna from heaven. I mean, think about this. Manna dropping from heaven, feeding them. No problem. I mean, it's got all the nutrients, vitamins. There's, you know, it's not going to make you fat. You know, you have to worry about your calories. It's, it's going to sustain you and everything. And you can have it every day. But what did they do? The rabble started complaining about the manna, didn't they? We want meat. Okay, so then God sends quail to them. And they have plenty of meat. But then they start complaining, we don't have water, we want water, give us water, whatever it is. And it constantly badgered Moses the whole time, and the Israelites as well, too. They heard it as well. Because this group didn't trust the Lord. Please understand, let me make a bridge now to us. As you decide to go on this path that the Lord has for you, please make sure you understand who you're traveling with. Because your companions on this path will mean everything. They will either make or break you. Because if you choose the rabble to go on this journey with, I can tell you what they're going to do. They will be the victim in your life. They will be where all the attention goes in the family. It will be... The, the constant nagging, the constant complaining that they just don't get their way. And they'll make you suffer for it. They're takers. They don't give back. I've seen it many times in church for all these years. I've been doing ministry for 20 years. There's a group that always serves, always gives, is always out there. And there's a bunch of takers. They just take and take. And it's the takers who complain about everything. Everything. But they're never in the trenches serving. They're always on the sidelines complaining and doing the Monday morning quarterbacking. Right? And I want to say, you get in the trenches and then I'll listen to your complaint. But if you're not going to get in the trenches, mm, not happening. These are the kind of people that messed with Moses. And they will weigh you down. They will prevent you. They will betray you at the end, just like they did Moses. Do you know how many times he had rebellion on his hands where they actually wanted to kill him and Aaron? I mean, it's literal. They were crazy because they weren't believers. And so what I'm telling you, this is a very important principle. When you strike out with and going out with God and you go on that, that path, man, you make sure you have good people with you. 
Because if you surround yourself with bad people, those people could destroy your ministry, could destroy you on that path, and could prevent you and weigh you down from accomplishing what God wants you to accomplish. Be very, very careful about these people. Because remember, what's Satan's ultimate goal? If he can't take away your salvation, what is he going to do? I will derail them. I will make their jobs so difficult. I will make their ministry so difficult. I will make their family lives so difficult that they simply can't focus in on ministry because they're so focused on the rabble in their lives. Be careful with that one. Be careful. Let's continue on. This is verse 39. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. Now, the thing about this is it's talking about their bread, their supplies. We talked about that and how the Passover's associated with unleavened bread. But this is what they took with them, okay, on, on the way out. It's like, pack your bags, let's go. We're moving out, okay. And so they took about, I would say, about two or three days' worth of food, now, start doing the math, because if you're in the same situation, what are you thinking? Uh, we're going to run out. So if this journey goes past two or three days, um, we're going to starve. So what's going to happen here? Where's the provision going to come? Well, the provision, obviously, is going to come from God, and he's going to show that. But here's the deal about stepping forward, about understanding provision. God doesn't provide prior to you stepping out. He only will provide after you step out. Now, if you're like me, what I would like to do, and the way I would like to function is, okay, I got all this stuff here, I got all my provision, and now I have the confidence to go out and do what God wants me to do. Doesn't work like that. When we started Rock Harbor, like I told you, we had nothing. He didn't put a bunch of money in our bank account and say, okay, use that and start. It started with zero. And there's a lot of the aspects where I started realizing, oh my gosh, I, I don't know where the provision is coming from. I mean, obviously God's going to have to provide, but I don't know when, how, what is going to be provided. And so me wanting to be a planner, wanting to think things out, wanting to get ahead of the curve, I finally realized that I can't cross every T or dot every I in my life. I just couldn't. It wasn't happening. I wish it would be like that, but what God said basically is that would require no faith on your part then, right? If I gave you everything before you started out, that doesn't require any faith, and I don't want that kind of relationship with you. So what I had to start realizing in my own life and what Israel's going to learn is I need to just step forward, and then the provision comes once I step forward. Now, there's been a lot of things going on, you know, behind the scenes with Rock Harbor all these years about... How is this going to happen? How is this going to work? I don't know. And, you know, we come up to that point where we need a building. Okay, so how are we going to pay for it? I don't know. We don't have any money. You know, this was years ago, right? But we knew that. We knew we needed our own permanent place. And I just, I'd go home and I don't know how this is going to happen. Then you you go along this process. You step forward. We do a building campaign. and, And then obviously God, through his people, brings the money there for the building campaign. And and you're, you're dealing with lenders, and you're like, man, are they going to loan us any money, and, and this and that. And so there's all these questions that you just don't know. And it can mess you up if you get too focused in on that. 
you start focusing in on what you don't have, and that starts causing anxiety and stress. Instead of saying, well, Lord, you're going to have to provide because I don't see it happening, so I'm going to trust you that if you've led us this far, somehow you're going to provide. And I don't know how you're going to do that, but I guess you've got to trust. That's a hard one, man, I, I, and I struggle with that. Even struggle with it today. I mean, yeah, I, I uh, you know, we're going to build a building. And, and I know I know God has led us to do that, but we're talking millions of dollars here. I... I, I I catch myself, um, am, I, am I saying millions? I'm not saying thousands. I'm saying millions. Millions? Yeah, you're talking millions to build in California. And if I, if I focus on the millions, I get pretty scared because that's millions. And I've never dealt with millions. But God has. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, doesn't he? He has, it, it's to him, he doesn't care. But you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with the, I don't know. I don't know. I see God leading. And I think, you know, the next step for us as a church is he's going to move us to another uh, facility, I think, if everything works out. And and um, like I told you last week, I'm working behind the scenes on that. That will give us the ability to have Sunday school and children's space and all that stuff because we're limited here, obviously. But how that all is going to play out, I don't know. I've talked to the landlords and stuff, and everything seems great, but there's a lot of details I just don't know. I'm not throwing myself off the temple, and neither will God ask you to throw yourself off the temple, because that's a temptation. You're tempting God at that point. But you have to be okay, what I've learned with God, that you can't have every T crossed and every I dotted. Maybe in most decisions that I'm making, I know the Lord's led it, but I have about 70 to 75% of my due diligence, and that's as much as I can get. And so there's about every, in most decisions we make for the church, there's about a good 25 to 30% we just don't know. We know that God's led us, but he doesn't fill it in. And I know it's on purpose. He doesn't give us 100%. Well, you have this one and that, and you're going to do that. He doesn't tell Israel that either. He won't tell you that either. He's going to leave that, that mystery there for faith. He's going to give you enough evidence to believe, but not so much evidence that it would eliminate your faith. That's how he works. And that's a, it's a hard pill to swallow, but that's the only way to, to play the game. And going forward, man, I don't know what's coming our way. I, I have speculations. I speculate that your taxes are going to go higher, food shortages, communism, socialism, global taxation, more radical politics, digital currency is coming our way, the Great Reset. Green New Deal, Paris Climate Accords, back in treaty with Iran, all that's coming. What does that mean for you and I? I don't know. All I know is I got to take one step with God. And another thing, you hear rumors of civil war. I get it. People are so fed up with what's going on in our country. They are ready for civil war, man. I, I'm no joke, man. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic or anything like that. I hear people, I hear people in Bakersfield, I hear people national, I hear people talk about it. Hey, I have never heard this kind of rhetoric before from people. 
when they know the election was stolen and it was a fraud and what, what's getting ready to go down, I don't really think people are going to sit there and take it. I just don't. I mean, that's my speculation. Maybe they will. Maybe they will. Maybe people will just lay down and take it. I don't know. I'm not advocating the Civil War. I'm not advocating taking up arms. I'm just telling you something's brewing. And the mindset that I see in people when you look at history is the same mindset of pre-revolutionary war and pre-Civil War mindsets. Now, here's a funny thing. As I was listening to historians talk about this. This is interesting. Historians that know our founders very well and have studied them and they're experts on the founders of our country, they said that what you see in America would have never happened with them. They would have already executed them, like Jefferson and Washington. Now, again, I'm not advocating that. I'm just telling you what historians have said our founding fathers would have done. They would have already been rounded up. They would have never let this go this far. It, it just, they wouldn't have. They were a different breed of people, and they were tough, and they weren't going to put up with evil. And so they would have taken you out. And so, again, I'm not suggesting that, but I, again, how times have changed. We are so far down the path, I don't think this can be turned around. This is bad. This is really bad. We're watching the transition from old America to new America. They're even considering taking down our flag and putting up a new flag. I mean, this is what these radicals think about, guys. So I'm talking to you from the heart, telling you, I don't know what's coming. But I'm saying is, be prepared by just taking the step with God, and he will lead us through things. Verse 40. Now, the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. Now, let me show you a graph here real quick, because this is going to be real important for the application on this. The sojourn of the Hebrews was 430 years. The persecution of the Hebrews was 400 years. The 400 years and the 430 years culminated when Israel left. Okay? Now, what's the deal between 400 years and 430 years? Well, let me explain that a little bit. The 430 years are years of sojourning. That starts from the time Abraham left the Ur of the Chaldees to the time Israel left in the Exodus. The 400 years of persecution started when Yishmael was mocking Yitzhak or Isaac at his weaning party. From that day to when the Exodus occurred is 400 years. So, for, so add on the 30 years of, of Abraham's journey out of the Chaldeans to the promised land uh, to Isaac's weaning party, and you'll get the two, the, the numbers there. Okay. I wanted to show you that so, so I can make an application. Let's go back to the text and I'll make the application. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So that's the day it all ended. Okay. Now, Sam, take me back to that, that graphic again. I want to show you something real quick. You see on the far right-hand side of the graphic, and those of you on this side, the time period is separated by when Jacob goes down into Egypt. So basically, you have 215 years on one side and 215 years on the other. 
So the time that Israel is actually being persecuted in Egypt is about 215 years, okay? Remember that, 215 years, okay? Um, so the 430 is broken up. That being the case, Israel is, is now leaving. But here's the point I want to make. Why did it take so long for God to deliver Israel? Why 400 years from Yitzhak to Moses? Why 400 years? Why 215 years under the bondage of slavery in Egypt? Why so long? Didn't God just see them? They're being attacked. They're being persecuted. And so now I'm going to go and rescue them immediately. Why the delay? And so this is an important point for you and I on the path. Because what you're going to see is a delay in your life when you're on the path. That things will take longer than what you thought. You think when I started Rock Harbor, I thought in year 10, we'll be talking about buying a building. I thought we'd be right out of the bat. Two, three years into it, we'd already have a building. It's 10 years later. 10 years later when we will have a building. I find it funny, and I think I'm to blame for this. Again, okay? The amount of time, and I'm going to see how this works out, the amount of time I've been pastoring Rock Harbor versus when the amount of time I was at a mega church is almost becoming identical now in time. I came from like what Moses came from in, in that kind of environment in a mega church where you have everything available to you. You have budgets, a million dollars of budgets. I had 19 employees under me. I had a lot of authority, a lot of position and power in that position, well-paid. And what I have had to do is come into this environment, in a church planning environment, and learn everything I didn't learn the previous 10 years. And it's been hard. There's no doubt about it. And I'm now starting to realize why it's been delayed. There was things I didn't know, things I needed to learn, things I needed to ingrain in my head before we got our own place that I needed to know as a pastor. Because things were too easy in this previous environment. It was too easy. When you have that many employees and you have that kind of bankroll and you have that kind of money, you, you can make things happen very quick, very quick. Now I get into an environment where we're counting every nickel and dime and moves are very, takes a lot of effort to think about them and pray about them and decide what you're going to do. And if you make a bad move, it'll cost you. It'll cost you big if you make a bad move. And now I have realized what that was meant for. I needed to learn those things and be more dependent on the Lord because in the other environment, I was not dependent on the Lord. I was not humble, and that's what it took. So my point in all this to us is God did the same thing with Israel. Now let me point this out with Israel. Israel, once they got into Goshen, was a primo environment. Okay, so on the chart, when Jacob goes down to Egypt, that okay, they, they take the rest of the, the children of Israel there. There's only 70 people. Joseph's there, and Joseph has become the second in command of Egypt. Remember that? Okay, it puts Israel in a primo environment. They're in Goshen. It is the most fertile area of the Nile Valley, and it's in the Delta. 
So the crops are just growing like crazy. They're multiplying like crazy. And what ends up happening is Israel becomes independent. So much so that many of the Israelites forget about Yahweh. They actually become more Egyptian and take on Egyptian traits and start worshiping Egyptian gods. And how do we know that? Because they carry these Egyptian gods not, gods not only through the Exodus and into the wilderness, but by the time they go into the promised land, Joshua is getting on to them about their idols from Egypt. So he got long ingrained. So it's that old story. You can take the boy out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of the boy. And that's what happened with Israel. So they become independent, they become prideful about what's happening, and then, oh, lo and behold, in the course of all this, in their sojourn, because they're not in the, where they're supposed to be, they're not in the promised land, they're in another land, a pharaoh rises who doesn't know Joseph. And why did that happen? It was to break Israel of their pride and their dependency on Egypt and the Egyptian gods, and to start looking to Yahweh. Now, on this chart, remember the 215 years I, I talked to you about? They were under the yoke of slavery for 215 years. How come Yahweh didn't rescue them year one or year two, 10, 20, 50 year, 75, 100, 150, 175, 200? What took God so long? Do you know what happened? The answer is real simple. Israel refused to ask for help. And as long as they stayed in their stubborn pride of not asking for help, like you and I do, he would not give it. So guess what happened? The yoke of slavery got worse and worse and worse. And towards the end of the 215 years, it got so worse, they finally called out to Yahweh. So they weren't calling Yahweh at year one. They only called him towards the very end. Does that tell you something? The delay was not because God was delaying it. The delay was because they couldn't get their act straight and humble themselves and ask for help. So same thing you and I. We'll get on the path and you say, I want this thing to speed up. I want this thing to speed up. And God says, hey, we'll speed this up as fast as you want. But I need you to fix some things. And until you fix those things, we're not going forward. So we're going to sit here and we can play all day long games until you fix this problem. And basically the idea is you can wrestle with God all night like Jacob did. And you can wrestle and wrestle and wrestle and wrestle. And he'll wrestle with you all the time you want to wrestle until you break down and admit who you are. You remember what God kept asking Jacob, what's your name? But God knows Jacob's name. Why does he keep asking for Jacob's name? He wants Jacob to admit something. Who are you? Who are you? Do you know who you are? Because we're not going any further until you admit to me who you are. I need you to admit that you're a trickster. I need you to humble yourself and admit who you are until we move on. And that's the same thing he's going with us. You get on this path, you start moving, then you have to be humble enough to say, I need help on this path, I'm dependent on you, I have spiritual poverty, and I, I need to be 100% trusting in what you're about to give me and what you're about to do. And that's the only way. 
That's the only way you'll stay on the path. The minute you decide not to take that time and the provision from God, you will gravitate to the, what the world will give you. And it becomes an easy fix. So don't get ahead of God. Don't want, don't, don't think you need to rush this. Fix that which is broken. Straighten that which is bent. Heal that which is hurting. Because once you do that, then you can move on to the next stage. Let me give you a picture of Winston Churchill. You guys remember Winston Churchill, the famous prime minister of England during World War II. He rose on the call of that day and answered the call and led England along with the Americans and to, to victory over Hitler. Here's a little, a little bit about him before this went down. At age 33... Winston Churchill hit the prime of his life politically. He had the most political power, most political clout. He was well-known. He was a speaker all through that time period, and he was well-respected. But he started taking positions that most British didn't like, and Britain was going heavily left. They were heading towards the mindset of, of Neville Chamberlain where Neville Chamberlain saw Hitler as, well, this is a guy we can work with. This is not a monster. He's intelligent, and we can deal with him. Remember Neville Chamberlain's attitude? Well, Churchill said, no, you got to watch out for this guy. This guy's a monster, man. He's going to destroy everything. This guy's crazy. Well, that didn't fly too well in England. So Winston Churchill went into the back corner politically. And then guess what happened? The old Neville Chamberlain mindset didn't work, did it? Because they found out Hitler's a liar and he's a murderer. And so guess what happened? World War II. So well, who do you think they called when World War II broke out and they needed a leader? Him. He had called it all along. But he had been put aside, held back by the mindset. But then when the time was needed for him, he was called to the, the situation and he led England and allied with us to overcome Hitler. The funny thing is, once he got done with World War II, do you know what happened to Winston Churchill? He was put back where they found him. Sad, isn't it? He was a hero, but then, because of his political leanings, because he was conservative, they, 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 the left pushed him out, and he disappeared off of the scene. What's the point? He, too, had the weight. He had the weight. And bide his time until he was called. And when he was called, he was ready and he acted. And the thing about that is, is the same thing with you and I and Israel. We're going to get on that path. There's going to be a delay. There's going to be a time period. But when we are needed, he will call us into action. And all we have to do is be ready to take that next step with him. Amen. Let's pray. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.